at the end of it all, like with having eating disorders and a workout addiction, like when I think back to what was going on, like it was never even about that. It was never about the workout addiction. It was never about the food. It was about my own disconnection from myself and what like my value system and like really understanding who the crap I was and who I wanted to be. And that's just the way that like my own internal issues were coming out in that way. None of the external stuff actually is even the cause. And it really comes down to each of us being committed to truth of how we actually feel, what we actually want, and then really designing our life from that place rather than, again, a reactive place of what the world tells you. Welcome back to another episode of Get Psyched. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today I am sitting down with Erin, and I'm so, so, so excited about it. Erin and I actually met this year on a New Year's trip. What a way to kick off the new year by meeting such an incredible person. And it was the perfect way to start my New Year's resolution to bring more feminine energy into my life and to really harvest my female friendships. So if nothing else, this episode was just two girls sitting down, chatting away. And Erin is also a therapist in training. She's getting her master's in counseling psychology, and I couldn't be more excited to watch her on this journey. Today, we talk about becoming an observer of your thoughts, mindfulness and meditation, permission to be angry, and the fact that emotions are not behaviors. I want you to jot that down, think about it throughout today's episode, and how you can apply that knowledge in your life. While you're sitting down and listening to the show, be sure to pour yourself a delicious, 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 salty element, LMNT. It's my favorite hydration supplement. And if you go to the link in the show notes, you will get a sample pack for free. All you've got to do is pay the flat rate shipping of $5. So if you're sick of hearing me talk about it and you have yet to try it, what the heck are you doing? Hit that link, grab some element and enjoy today's episode. Coming to you live from the laundry room. (laughs) Here we are with little kid pictures, inner child work, you know? Oh yeah. We're going to dive right into it. What what did that mean for you? I was Uh, laughing as I was thinking about this show because I'm so, 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 so excited for people and listeners to get to know you for the next hour or so. Um, but selfishly, I was like, I just kind of want to hang out with Erin <laughs> because same with you. I'm like, I need more of her in my life. <laughs> so I'm glad. I'm so excited. So selfishly listeners, this hour is more for me than it is for you, but I'm glad you get to be a fly on the wall for the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you that don't know, Erin actually was introduced to my life really recently. We spent New Year's together and immediately were I mean, this is my experience. I don't want to speak for Erin, but I was like drawn to this girl. It's like, she has something, there's something I want to talk to her. I want to hang out with her. And so I'm so grateful that you were there, but for people who don't know who you are, can you give a little kind of like blurb as to who you are in this moment? And we'll kind of through the show, get to how it is that you got there. Yes. In this moment, I am a life coach. Um, I'm studying to be a marriage and family therapist and I am, this might sound a little weird, but I've done a lot of work on who I am at a time like this. And really I've come to a place of being an observer and an experiencer of everything going on inside of me, in my brain, um, my body, and kind of detaching from all of the labels, identities. I'm just, you know, an observer of my thoughts and my experiences. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, it was funny when we were chatting. I, the road, for those of you listening that don't know this, the road to becoming a marriage and family therapist is long. It is so, so long. And I'm so supportive of your journey, but there was so much me that wanted to be like, don't do it. Like, just take the <laughs> like, work. Don't on yeah, don't do it. 
because it takes a long time, but it is really worth it. And I think that so much of the master's experience in counseling psychology is doing exactly what you're saying. Like, how can I remove myself from the attachments to my narrative to, you know, what I think it means to be a healer, why I'm a healer, these different things. And I kind of explained it to you. You like keep digging at like your psyche and all the things. And as soon as you think you've like got it, they like hand you another shovel. They're like, nope, keep, keep digging. So it is one of the most transformative experiences. And it's so cool to know that you are at the beginning of this experience with the understanding that you already have. Mm. But I'm curious how you got to a place where you could become an observer of your thoughts instead of becoming your thoughts, because that's a really big distinction for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a daily practice. I will say (laughs) I'm not a master at this by any means. Um, I realized going to therapy and learning a lot about myself and how identified I was with all of the external things. Like I was a tennis player growing up and that's what I was known for. And that's all I felt I offered the world. And then that ended when college ended. And so then I globbed onto the next thing and it was CrossFit. And then it was my body and what I looked like. And so as I was just constantly searching and seeking for all of these external things to identify with, I started to get myself into places where I wasn't truly happy and that is kind of goes against what the world tells you. Like once you have this, you'll be happy. Once you get married, you'll be happy. Once you have kids, once you live in Hawaii, once you have the body of your dreams, all of these things. And I was like accomplishing these things, but then it would go away and I wasn't happy. I'm like, what is, what's, what's going on here? I got to get to the bottom of this, um, with therapy, with a lot of help from loved ones, with a lot of, um, spiritual teachers and guides. I started to learn like how my brain worked and how disconnected I was from what actually is going on. And that's where becoming the observer became so powerful for me was to separate who I am from all of the the worldly things, the brain, the body, all the external things. And that process again is a daily practice, but starting to recognize that when I follow my thoughts, it, it doesn't always end up so well. And to create space between me being the observer, having thoughts, I can't always control my thoughts. Like sometimes I have really messed up thoughts mm-hmm. and that's okay. And I don't <laughs> so think you're the like, only one that experiences yeah, that, which is great news. Exactly. <laughs> but it's so crazy how subconscious conditioning beliefs without learning and knowing that like, we are not our thoughts. Um, you just go along with it and you think that's just the way it is. It's, it's just not even, it's not even in the front of your mind because it's just subconscious. And I got to a point where I was like, this sucks. I don't want to live from a place of just reaction or conditioned beliefs. Like I want to feel empowered. And while also like creating space so that I cannot follow all the nonsense, I don't have to get involved with all the crappy things going on in my head. I don't have to believe everything that happens. And that's when it was like, okay, I'm just watching it. Like, this is just a TV show. I'm just watching it happen. It's like what I attach to it that causes me pain. I don't have to believe that. And just that concept alone has helped me so much in so many different areas of my life. So what were some of the practices you put in place then to, because I think that so often we present something that is so simple Mm -hmm. in theory, but is so hard to do. Yes. I mean, Um, everything, right? (laughs) Yeah. Right. You're like, that's all it takes. It's just, it's just separating attachment from your thoughts. Right. But we're not really raised or conditioned to do that. So what kind of things have you done to take a step back? So there's quite a few things and it's come in different phases, like different times. Um, certain modalities served me better. Um, but I will say, 
mindfulness practice, which I'll separate mindfulness with meditation because meditation has been so powerful for me to do that every morning. And it's the, throughout the day, starting to bring more mindfulness to just the little things throughout my day. That's what really made a difference. Not just like sitting for 15 minutes in the morning, but picking out, like setting alarms on my phone (laughs) to check in, like, what are you seeing? What are you smelling? What are you feeling? Just being present with the moment without any judgment of it and practicing that as many times throughout the day as I could to just check in with like, where are my thoughts taking me? What's going on around me? How can I practice being less judgmental of the moment and more curious, like replacing judgment with curiosity and just practicing that, like literally every time I washed my hands, when COVID hit, that became my thing. Every time I washed my hands, because I started washing my hands 50 times more than I used to. I have yeah, a dry, the dry, scaly oh, hands. It's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> but that was a perfect example. I'm like, okay, that's something I do multiple times a day. So I'm just going to assign that as my mindful moment. And I'm just going to feel the soap on my hands. I'm going to like, just be present with the moment around me to start strengthening those skills of presence and non-judgment and just being with the moment as it is without wanting anything to be different. And that has helped me a ton just through my day-to-day thoughts of just recognizing because I'm being more present. I'm not just going with the flow. I'm actually like, paying attention now. (laughs) And so I would say that's probably the biggest thing that helped me was just practicing mindfulness. Totally. I talk to people all the time about our thoughts when they're in our head makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's not until we speak them out loud or write them that we could hear or see the fallacy in that way of thinking, but our self-critic or anxious thoughts or false core beliefs, all of those make so much sense until they're externalized. Mm -hmm. And I think like you're saying, finding mindful moments, whether that's washing your hands or like getting in a bubble bath and actually feeling the warmth on your skin, or how does it feel when I let my knee out? Oh, there's like that temperature change, all the different things. What is, is what's real, right? What's in front of us, what's happening in this moment, not what my head is making out to believe is real. Totally. It's all perception. That's what you start <laughs> to realize. Like that I'm making this mean everything that I'm making it mean. And I don't have to do that. I don't have to believe it. So it's really powerful. And I love that externalizing. That's another thing that has helped me a ton and something I've always done. I'm a big journaler. I love writing. And so I've done that since I was a kid, but my journaling changed a lot. (laughs) My journaling back then was like, oh my gosh, I got my first kiss. Now my journaling is, it's so powerful for me to write things down, just what's happening in my brain, just externalizing it. And that self-awareness that it, it brings forward so much that maybe you didn't even know was going on in there. So I love that you said that because that's been really helpful too. Totally. What was it? Cause you've kind of touched on, you know, the body of your dreams or living in Hawaii or, you know, we set these big milestones for if then, if I get this, then I will be happy. If I do this, then I will feel successful or whatever. And in my experience, I have spent so much time chasing the destination that I didn't have those mindful moments, right? I didn't as cliche as it sounds, fall in love with the process. Mm -hmm. Um, So what was it in your life that you were chasing? And once you achieved, kind of realized that it fell flat? Yeah. Um, The biggest one for me, and not everyone has like a huge rock bottom moment. I hit that very intensely. Um, I was chasing the body and the fitness and all the things that come along with that, just the, uh, my self-worth was so placed into how I look appearance. And so I chased that. And it was like, I did all the things like worked out 
five hours a day, like was so, so lean, did all of those things. So committed to it, ate as perfect as I possibly could. (laughs) And I was really good at it. Like I was good at that. And I'll never forget the moment I was living in California at the time. And my family was visiting for a family vacation. And here I was like having the body of my dreams, just thinking I had this life living on the beach. And I was so unhappy. And I was sitting there with my dad, just so unhappy, but I like thought I had accomplished everything that I wanted. And that was that moment that it just hit me. And I was like, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I accomplished doesn't matter what my body looks like. Like my happiness is an internal state. And I don't even know what that means right now. Like I thought being happy was like looking good and getting attention from people and wanting everyone to want to look like me and all the guys to like, want to date me. Like, that's what I thought was happiness until that's what was happening. And I was like, uh, this sucks. Like I'm not happy at all. Like I, this, what, I got to re redefine what I thought happiness meant. And that moment was like, this is an inside job. Like I've got some serious work to do. So that's kind of when it all started. When I started chasing the inside work (laughs) instead of the external things. And that was hard. It's hard to give up things that you think but that's that trust and just doing like one little thing, one little thing and feeling a little more connected to yourself and feeling, Ooh, that feels a little happier to me. Like that seems like something I want more of. Um, and taking myself out of the world, like I had to kind of go to an extreme where I had to remove myself from all of the triggering parts of my life. And I think that's one of the hardest things about being a human in the world is figuring out how to do that with all of the constant stuff we have hitting our faces. Um, So that's what I needed. I needed to take a break basically from the world and just be like, okay, I got to go. I got to like go inside, stay in a safe place, just start doing some work to protect myself for a little while. Obviously that's not long-term sustainable, but recognizing how much the world has affected how I think about myself, that was kind of a a big piece getting angry. (laughs) Like I didn't have a, my relationship with anger was like none, like Mm -hmm. don't be angry that's not good. Like nice people don't get angry. You're a nice girl. Just be nice. It's fine. And once I finally could tap into that and be like, no, I'm pissed. Like I'm pissed that all these people told me that like, this is how I need to eat. This is how I need to look. Um, guys telling me that like, I have to look a certain way or guys won't like me if I, this, that, or another, like I had to kind of just be with all of that and be like, this is really it effed up. <laughs> like, I don't like any of this. Um, and once I could process that and like come out of the victim mode and be like, okay, we're all in this together. Um, and I get to choose like, this is like, I can reject any messages that I want to reject. Like mm. this is my life. Like I get to choose. And if someone tells me something like that's fine, but that's not about me. Like it's none of this is about me. So like, I can just do my inner work and try to find that peace and contentment inside. And none of the other external stuff can affect me if I'm rooted in that. Yeah. How did you give yourself the permission to be angry? Cause I think that's something that a lot of people, but especially women struggle with. Totally. I had, I wrote it down. I put anger in a big circle in the middle of a page And I just started writing all of the messages that I have been taught about anger. And that's kind of like a huge part of healing is to start to shine light on all of your beliefs and how you learned them from somewhere. You didn't just come into the world believing these things. So 
just recognizing, okay, I, I have these beliefs about anger. Where did they come from? Who taught me this? Like, is this really true? Is it not? So I just wrote down around anger, all of the different messages I've learned, all of my beliefs about what anger means, and then just sat with that and thought, okay, like that makes sense. Makes so much sense that I feel this way about anger, society, my parents, like my religion, all of these things have taught me this about anger. So I have so much compassion for why I felt this way. (laughs) And like, that's not serving me anymore. And like, I know, like I have so much inner wisdom if I'm willing to slow down and pay attention to it and to separate, like anger does not mean aggression. Like anger does not mean like, go be a jerk to everyone you see. Like anger is just anger. It's just an emotion. It's just a normal human emotion. And so relating to emotions in a healthier way, seeing them for what they are, an emotion, not a behavior, like that was really powerful to be like, wow, all of these emotions are absolutely harmless until I decide to make it harmful. Mm. You know? Yeah. Can you dive into that a little bit more that emotions are not behaviors? Yeah. I mean, it's like your thoughts, like your thoughts can lead to emotions and then that can lead to a behavior and, or it doesn't, or it's a thought and you don't follow it. You're the observer of the thought. (laughs) You just let it be. Oh, that's interesting. But that thought just popped into my head. Okay. Like I can just move right along or I can like get more curious about it and try to learn more. I don't have to act on any of that. If I'm feeling like really, really mad at someone for something, like I don't have to do anything. Like I can just feel it and be like, huh, feeling really mad. Like, okay. I can just let that pass through me. Like it literally doesn't mean any that I have to do anything. Mm -hmm. And I think with emotions, especially like we have this huge fear of feeling uncomfortable things. And a lot of emotions are really uncomfortable. And if we let them just be what they are, then that's the end of it. They come, they go, and there's nothing else to worry about. But when we act on them, then we create all sorts of problems for ourselves. (laughs) So I think that's just so powerful is to develop a healthier relationship with emotions, create a, a bigger capacity to be with uncomfortable emotions and comfortable emotions. I think of like happiness. I've heard Brene Brown talk about this and a few other people. Um, when you have a happy moment, the first thing that comes in your mind is like, oh no, where's it going to go? When's it going to leave? And so you're either clinging onto the good stuff or you're suppressing or like running away from the bad stuff. And either way, we are being controlled by these emotions. So it's so powerful for us to learn how to not cling, not suppress, but just like allow, let things move through us. Be so grateful for the the times where it's like, wow, this is amazing. And then when things aren't so great, then you just know, okay, this is going to pass. Like, it's just an emotion. I can be with this. It's okay. And the more you do that, the more you, you believe it and the more you see it, and then you can have that type of faith moving into the next type of emotion that comes up. Yeah. I, when I talk about emotional intelligence and what I'm hearing you say is kind of the responding versus reacting, right? I have, and we can go down a huge rabbit hole on that, but we have all these stories that we've inherited, whether that was family of origin, religion, society, all of these different things that have also taught us what is an acceptable way to react and what is not. Mm -hmm. And when we get really curious about those narratives, like, wait, is that even mine? Of Mm -hmm. course it could bring up a lot of anger. Of course it could bring up a lot of sadness. 
Um, for me, there were times when it was really liberating and I could be like, Oh fuck. Yeah. That's not my thought. Like I can release that and let it go. Um, but I think one of the biggest things that we can tap into in kind of emotionally regulating is what's happening somatically, Mm -hmm. right? My body is going to tell me I'm angry far before my brain admits that I am, or that I'm happy or that I'm nervous or any of these things. And I'm curious if you have any sort of like somatic experiencing or practices that you have for, for similar regulation. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you brought this up because nervous system, (laughs) my nervous system I've learned teaches me a lot of things. And that's something again, that we, like, I know for me, I don't know how other people feel about this, but I had no clue that when I'm anxious, like literally inside of my chest, it's like this super tight ball. That's just like about to explode. And I used to live from a more reactive place. I didn't know I was anxious. I was just not okay. And was lashing out and doing whatever I was doing. And so to be, to come back into my body and to let my body start to, to talk to me and for me to actually listen, that came a lot through mindfulness and doing body scans, breath work, just being still for more than two seconds, because that's all I did before was go, 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 go. So to slow down and to just be with my body, body scan, like close my eyes, take a little scan, just pay attention to how everything's feeling inside of me, naming the emotion, like giving it a color, giving it a texture, giving it, just making it a whole thing where you're I'll never forget in therapy the first time my therapist had me do this. And she's like, okay. So like, ask me all these questions about what I'm feeling. And I'm like, what the heck? I don't know what color it is. Like, I don't know. Like it was so foreign to me to try to, to feel inside my body, what was going on. And now when I do it with clients, it's the same thing. Just kind of like, um, I don't know, but the more you practice it, you really do start to see like, okay. I'm feeling like really sad. What does that feel like? And just taking yourself through what that feels like, the more you do that, the more you feel it coming the next time the emotion comes up and you're able to name it, you're able to know what's going on for you. Um, so mindfulness going through the body scan, um, also a huge part of that for me, because a lot of my past has been moving my body, working out, um, dieting, being really restrictive of what I ate. And I lost a lot of trust with my body in that process. Mm. I was so in my head of like what I should do, what I should eat, how much I should work out, how I should work out. And as I started healing, that was a huge part of me becoming more connected somatically, like what's going on inside of me am I hungry? I don't know. Like I'm not supposed to be hungry right now. So that piece connecting back to my nervous system, to what it feels like in my body to start building trust with my body by how it shows up for me every day and listening to it. Um, that really helped me heal all of the, the distrust that I had created through my head trying to control my body. So movement turned into, okay, I'm going to go on a walk and I'm just going to feel, feel my legs going, feel my arms swinging, just being more present in my body so that I could actually tap into what my body feels like, what it's trying to tell me. Um, so yeah, just like gentle movement, yoga, all of that really helped me connect back to my body in that way. Yeah. What were the messages or what was your body telling you during the healing process? Oh my gosh. My body was telling for me, my body was screaming for me to just lay down and rest. And that was a huge part. Like it was really, really hard. I didn't want to do that. (laughs) I wanted to keep moving. My head was telling me to keep moving, but when I actually 
tuned in and listened, it just was telling me you need to just lay down and rest. Like you don't want to do anything. You just need to lay down, just be still, just slow down and like be nice to your body. Like that's, that's all, that's all I want. Feed me rest. (laughs) And yeah, it's not always what you want to hear. Sometimes you like, "Eh, I don't want to do that. But that's, that's where my body was at when I first started my healing. Do you still find that old narrative coming up Mm -hmm. all the The, time? The, I got to go, I got to move. I got to, what do you do now when that comes up? So it's been a slow process. Like I, some people are able to just, you know, they start their healing journey and they just go all in and they commit to like the exact opposite of what they were doing. That was not me. I do things very slowly and in my own way. So I kind of slowly tried to just like one thing a day, like challenge myself in like little ways to change my behaviors. Um, And now looking back at like the last few years, I see where I am now with slowing down. My relationship to slowing down is so different. Now I crave that. Now I, Mm. I feel like I, that's when I feel the most connected to myself is when I'm slow (laughs) when I have my meditation in the morning, when I make sure that I have time to like be with the moment and to not distract myself. I think as you realize when you have addictive behaviors or are constantly seeking the external, or you have trouble slowing down very often, you're distracting yourself from something going on that you don't want to look at. And as I was able to open that and be like, okay, I'm, I can look at it. Let's look at it. What's going on in there. Slowing down wasn't so hard anymore because it was like, wow, this is actually a portal to very divine messages that I can receive by slowing down. And yeah, it's not always comfortable. Sometimes it's like, oh, I don't want to be thinking about this or, oh, I'm kind of bored or how can I distract myself? Um, but more often now I'm, I'm receiving messages. I feel open to guidance, to connection with others, all of these things that actually make me feel more fulfilled in my life rather than the go, go, go hustle, hustle. Um, or you need to work really, really hard all the time in order to be worthy. Like all of those messages that the world tells you once you do slow down, you're like, wow, that's not it. That's not it for me. Like that actually isn't, isn't what I want. And some people might want that. Like I, who's to say, I just know for me, my time here on earth is limited and I want to live with the awareness always that this isn't permanent. My life is very temporary (laughs) and I don't want to be at the end of my life wishing that I would have just been there for the little moments, enjoyed myself more, slowed down, been more connected, all of those things. So that's a huge part of like, okay, what the heck is this even all about? And it's not hustling my life away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I had, um, I think there's listeners on the show that have definitely heard me talk about this. Um, I worked a lot with an IFS therapist, so internal family systems. And I, similarly to how you're explaining emotions and IFS, and now I do a lot of that work. Um, Mm -hmm. I have all of my clients or all of my friends go watch the Pixar movie inside out. I don't know if you've seen so it or not. Oh, so good. Yeah. So it's all the emotions, right? There's like this little angry part and the anxious part, and they all have different names and they all are different colors and have this whole different appearance. And I have a part that is very similar to yours. At the minute I feel discomfort, I just want to physically move my body, whether that is working out or physically running away from the discomfort. I'm just like, if I can move, it'll go. <laughs> my therapist is like, 
if it left, you probably wouldn't be in therapy right now, Liz. So how's that going? (laughs) And so I can be the first one to echo and say like, it is not easy to slow down. And it is a warrior's journey to sit and be like, I am so uncomfortable right now. And what is bringing the discomfort? Because we are not programmed as humans to lean into discomfort. In fact, we're programmed to run towards comfort yeah, and and make a comfortable life. And so I love that you brought up that it was actually the slowing down and leaning into those things that brought you more comfort than running was ever doing. Totally. And I also think sometimes distraction, sometimes bringing on all of the heaviness of life and the emotions and all the things you're struggling with. Sometimes that's a lot to handle and having a healthy distraction and having coping mechanisms that, that are helpful for you in that moment. I think that's so important to have. So I don't think it's always healthy either to just sit in it all and to just be like, all right, I'm slowing down. Like bring it all on me. Pile on top, dog pile. (laughs) Like, I think like, we're so like, we're human. We need, we need to just like take a break and to go like, okay, I've been feeling these emotions. I'm not running away from it. I'm not numbing out. I'm not turning to things that are destructive. I'm going to do something else though, to take a break and to help me like help nurture myself through this tough time. And then I can come back to it, but to be in it all the time too, like that can be a lot and can, um, just feel too heavy sometimes. Like, I think it's important to keep it light and to like, okay, how can I laugh right now? Like I need to just go find something to laugh at or whatever. If it is like going to move your body, like as long as it's not from a destructive place, I think that's an important thing for people to have these coping skills. Yeah. Can you talk more about the destructive place? I know that you brought up, you know, kind of addictive behavior or things like that. Is that kind of what you mean by destructive? Yeah. I feel like for me, it was working out. Like I was addicted to working out. Like that was my only coping skill. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I'm feeling lonely. I'll go work out. Oh, like I'm feeling bad about myself. I'll I'll go work out. And I would just always be working out at the cost of a lot of other things that could have helped me at the loss of connection with other people, relationships, um, my own physical health. Like it's not healthy to work out that much. And that's where like a lot of people, I mean, whether it's alcohol or any substance or, it literally anything, it could be anything that you feel is like your, your thing that you like have to have in order to be okay. That's just something to pay attention to. Like, can I be okay without all of these things? Like if I can be okay, and then I'm using that in a way that's going to uplift me or help me be better or more connected or whatever, like that's probably a healthy way to make decisions. If it feels like a desperate, like I have to have this, otherwise I will not be okay. Um, or doing it in such excess that it's actually harming your life. That's where it's more just like, you, you probably want to just keep your eye on that and just be like, okay, what else can I invite into my life? So that's not the only thing I turn to. Um, so I have more options, more of like a menu of things to help me through. I think that's just so important for people to have multiple areas that they can turn to for support and help. Yeah. What is it? Cause what's especially hard is what you named that when we hear addiction, right? We think drugs, alcohol, and, and substances more often than not. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, I was addicted to fitness. I was addicted to working out, mm-hmm. which is so hard for us to identify when moving your body, working out self-care it's mm-hmm. highlighted as this really positive thing in people's lives. And oftentimes when people are depressed, it's like, Oh, lifestyle change. Can you go work out? So how did you start to identify that that was one of the big problems in your life 
And then how have you created a different relationship with it now? Yeah. Um, gosh, it was a problem for a long time. <laughs> I said it, it became, I think so working out for me was more, I mean, I was an athlete. I played tennis. So I was introduced to working out from a young age and that's what I was around a lot. And it also had the side effects of affecting the way your body looks. And so that combo for a woman in this world, <laughs> it was, Oh, here we go. Okay. I'll just, I, I'm, I can work hard. So I'll work really hard at that. And that became a thing too. Like, Oh yeah. Look at me. I'm really hard worker. Isn't this really impressive? Yeah. So, Tell me how great I look. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I would say like, looking back at my life, I was gosh. I mean, even when I was playing tennis at the university of Utah, I would go in early to work out extra before we did our weight training. And then I would stay after practice and do more running. Like I was always doing more exercise. And so that was a problem for me for a long time, like probably since high school. Um, and so when it got to the point where my body was actually shutting down, like mm. I knew it was a problem, but I wasn't ready to address it. I was like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. I have a really good way of like minimizing everything and thinking everything will be fine, you know? And so that was going back to that rock bottom point for me. That's when it was like, my body was literally shutting down. Um, I was passing out. I was, I didn't like my whole family was so worried about me because I looked sick. Um, my blood pressure, my blood sugar, everything was just all over the place and I didn't feel good. And so that's kind of when that point hit where I was like, okay, like, I know you've had a problem for a long time. Now's the time, like you might not make it if you don't change. So like, you kind of have to change now, like it's not an option anymore. And so, um, once I could just admit that out loud, I think that was a huge part of it is to be like, I have a problem. <laughs> I admit it. I know you guys all knew that already. You've known that for a long time. Um, but now I'm willing now I'm ready. Cause I have to, I have to be like, I don't want to die like this. This isn't good. So that's when I committed to, to changing. And that's when I got a therapist and that's when I moved back to where my family lives to have more support and community. Um, and then that process, yeah, it was, it was baby steps, like such small things. I had to slowly cut out the, like a half an hour here because I felt like I couldn't do it. Like, honestly, I felt like, there's no way I can stop doing this. Like I have to keep doing this. It's the only thing that makes me feel okay. So having that, the small, small, tiny things. Okay. This week, I'm only going to work out for this amount of time this week. I'm, I'm not letting myself go back to the gym. Um, if I've already done a workout in the morning, like just little tiny things and then making that my new normal and then choosing something else. And like, obviously having support, having a therapist, having family that was keeping me accountable and helping me with that was helpful. But at the end of it all, like with having eating disorders and a workout addiction, like when I think back to what was going on, like, it was never even about that. It was never about the workout addiction. It was never about the food. It was about my own disconnection from myself and what like my value system and like really understanding who the crap I was and who I wanted to be. And that's just the way that I was using, um, like my own internal issues were coming out in that way. When I think so many people can relate to this, but it might show in a different way. Um, so I just feel, I feel like none of the external stuff actually is even the cause. And it really comes down to each of us being committed to truth of how we actually feel, what we actually want, and then really designing our life from that place, rather than again, a reactive place of what the world tells you that it should be. 
So, but small steps, that's always my advice. <laughs> just small, just take one thing at a time, one small step. It can be so overwhelming and then you'll just want to quit. Um, so I support that just little, little tiny changes. Yeah. What was the most transformative part of your healing so far? Mm, wow. I've had a couple, couple things. Um, I would say my first psilocybin experience, um, that unlocked so much inside of me that I didn't even know existed. And that, that was kind of the start of me being in tune enough to listen to all of the things and to just be open. It it opened me up where I was like, okay, show me, show me what I need to see. <laughs> and, and that like tapping into that part of my subconscious, um, feeling the amount of love that I felt in that experience, it finally clicked where I was like, whoa, like, I am so loved. Like I feel so much love right now that I deserve to choose to create a better life. Like I finally felt that. And mm-hmm. I think like going back to how we always, like there's so much we know, or it seems so simple. Um, but it's so different when you actually feel it as truth within your body and that psilocybin journey, it finally clicked. <laughs> I was like, whoa, I'm so loved and I deserve to be here and I'm worthy of everything. Mm-hmm. I'm worthy just like everybody else is. And I don't have to do anything to earn that. That was really powerful. Um, yeah, and I- that's, that's what so much of, well, A, what our conversation has been, but what the research around both psilocybin and MDMA therapies are, is that how we were talking earlier about, can I name those emotions in my body? Can I feel this different state, this different state of being a different perception of self? And it's kind of that like feeling is believing thing. Mm -hmm. Cause if all it took was seeing, then we'd all be fucking believers. Right. But (laughs) the fact that they're saying it's not, you know, the chemical substance of MDMA or the properties of psilocybin that is healing people. It's Mm -hmm. the fact that they are quote, seeing God, or they Mm -hmm. are feeling these different states and then able to believe them with their whole being and bring that back or to use, you know, the the term integrate that back into their waking consciousness that makes the whole shift. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I felt that. And that's what my, my next (laughs) most healing experience was an MDMA journey. (laughs) Like it's, of course, it's all the little things in between. So it's not like, it might not be for everyone. And like, there's so many different ways that we can heal. I just know for me that both of those, my first psilocybin and then my first MDMA, the the clarity it brought me, the way it broke me open, the way it, it like the truths that I wanted to feel, but didn't feel yet became true. And it became like, none of this is about you. And you didn't, you didn't do anything wrong in any of the relationships. Like nothing is, everything is a projection of other people. And to feel that in my bones and to be like, Whoa, like I have been making everyone else's decisions about me that like I did something wrong or that I'm broken or that I need to change or that I need to show up differently or that I'm not worthy to be like, Oh, we are all just these imperfect humans projecting all of our shit onto other people and that's okay. But to know, like, it doesn't mean anything about me. That is relief. And that is very healing to actually feel that. And to have that constant, it takes, you know, everyday reminders, integrating all of that to hold on to that, but to feel that in your bones, like 
that changes you. So those were definitely some powerful experiences that helped me a lot in my journey. I have like full body goosebumps because when people feel a change, I mean, I'm such a somatic person anyway. And it's so funny to think of that because when I first started therapy and they were like, where do you feel that in your body? I was like, shut up. I fucking don't. I'm talking to you about it. I'm telling you. And they're like, but where, where is it? Right. And so to really, again, throwing around woo woo terms, but I think that they have good, they have good juju behind them when they're used correctly embodying that and knowing that that is like the truth mm-hmm. in your bones yeah is a transformative experience that nobody until they felt it can quite understand no exactly exactly and that's what it was so super grateful for those experiences oh Aaron, I'm super, super grateful for you. I know that I could continue to go down these rabbit holes all afternoon with you if I was left to my own devices. Um, Call Joe Rogan up, be like, I'm going to start using your three-hour platform. Thank you very much. But um, since we don't have three hours today, how can people stay connected to your journey, keep up with what you're doing and get connected in any way? So I have a website, erinmonson.com, my name, and my Instagram. That's pretty much my social media platform. Um, I do everything through Instagram. So that's a quick way to find me, to follow um, what I'm doing now. And yeah, so much of my work is just on Instagram and on my website. And it's something I'm so passionate about and I love so much. It's been life-changing for me. And so I know we've talked about this before, but just thinking that you could open these doors up for even just one person and to show them that there is a different way that you don't have to buy into so many of these messages that cause us so much pain. Um, it just feels so good. And I would just love sharing that with other people. So thank you for giving me that space. Absolutely. Erin, thank you so much. I'll link all of those in the show notes and we'll plan another time to get you back on because this was awesome. So good. Thank you.